It's getting worse. Nursing home workers confront risks in facilities devastated by coronavirus. On today's Caregiver's Toolbox. Welcome to the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving. We provide education and information on senior care topics. Here's your host, Ryan McInniff. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving, information and education on senior care topics. And today we're talking about an article from Time Magazine, it's titled, It's Getting Worse, Nursing home workers confronted uh, confront risks in facilities devastated by coronavirus, and it is written by Katie Riley over at Time, and uh, it's a article that is more about reinforcing what we're talking about than shedding light on anything new. So, um, you know, this article um, is about. Uh, from a caregiver's uh, point of view, which I thought was worthwhile talking about. But before we get into that, I'm going to ask you a big favor. Please go over to iTunes. Please go over to Google, Stitcher, Spotify, whoever you use to listen to this podcast. And please give us a five-star rating. It would be greatly appreciated if you would be willing to do that. It helps support the podcast. It gives us positive feedback. And it lets us know that you're appreciating what we're doing in providing information on senior care topics. So please, please do that for us. That would be very much greatly appreciated. With that being said, we're going to get into this. And so this talks about um, the, a caregiver who is basically um, a certified nursing assistant, which is what uh, you have to be to be in a nursing home, a, a CNA, an Alzheimer's unit at Newington Rapid Recovery Rehab Center in Newington, uh, Connecticut, had been running a low-grade fever but says the facility was only sending workers home if their temperature reached 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit per center's for disease control and prevention guidelines in in an effort to ensure there would be enough staff to care for residents. Quote, I went to the administrator and said, I'm sick and you guys are still keeping me here. I don't have the proper PPE to work with now and I just don't want to die. Days later, she tested positive for COVID-19. And this reinforces that there have been over 35,000 deaths in long-term care facilities, according to the Associated Press, a figure that accounts for about a third of the country's coronavirus. I find that hard to believe. I think that number is higher. I know in states in New England, the numbers can be as close to 70%. I've seen maps of the country. Um, We might do another podcast on that where it shows that, that um, a, lot of, a lot of states across the country are very close to um, a majority of their deaths are coming from um, nursing facilities. Um, um, nursing home employees face serious occupational hazards even in non-pandemic times. They say that they're caught in between an impossible situation and being blamed for problems rooted in America's failed elder care system. They're struggling to protect themselves and support their families on menial menial salaries while caring for a population that is among the most vulnerable to COVID-19. Nursing home employees who contract COVID-19 have been forced to use their limited sick time or vacation time, 
go without pay, or lose their jobs entirely. Through it all, they have dealt with the grief and despair as elderly residents who they become emotionally attached, become sick with COVID, and die. And at the end of the day, that last paragraph is kind of all it, all it needs to be said. We pay our caregivers very poorly in this country to provide care for um, um, the seniors. As a whole, not individually, but as a whole, collective whole, we have made decisions through policies um, through the federal government over decades that run through both sides of the aisles, administrations that have, have made it very clear that seniors, when you get old and you are no longer a value to society, quote unquote, you are tossed away. And that's just what happens in this country, apparently. We have seen it time and time again with the older that you get, over 55, 60 years old, if you switch jobs, you are going to have a hell of a time getting the same pay that you were getting previously. We saw this with the crash in 2008, that a lot of those people that were in their 50s and 60s that had um, that had gotten laid off in the great in the Great Recession never recovered salary wise when things got better two or three years later, and they were unable to find jobs that matched their salary. And they and many people believe that is because of ageism. That once you hit a certain age, you are are looked at as no longer whatever it's vibrant or whatever it might be. And so at around 55, 60, we start seeing that kind of ageism creep in. And, you know, this is what the result is, that we're paying as little money as possible to have people um, um, stay alive in these nursing homes. And, of course, that trickles down to if we're paying as little as possible to have somebody stay in a nursing home, we're going to pay as little as possible for the um, the staff that's there. And so that goes back to the cost of care. I mean, are we going to set up a system that um, provides better services and a better uh, community and a better quality of life for individuals? Or is it going to stay the same where people are going into a sterile hospital-like setting where nobody wants to go and nobody wants to spend their last days there? And unfortunately, many of them have to go there because they're too medically complex to uh, have care provided for them. So that goes back to the cost of care. Um, she goes on to say that I would love to see them giving us proper PPE that we need, give us some kind of compensation, and for goodness sake, I don't get any more um, vacation or sick time now, and the year is just beginning. Give me back some of my compensation and put back my time. And this is another very good point that this caregiver is making. You know, in the caregiving community, there's, there's two forms of currency in this world. There's the currency of money, and there is the currency of social currency. And so a lot of people, believe it or not, are not money-driven. They, they, money is not the end-all, be-all. They don't want to become a multimillionaire or a billionaire, and they don't associate, and this is a great quality to have, uh, they don't associate being rich with being happy and successful. And we've certainly see, seen in plenty of situations where people have more money than God, and they're unhappy and it doesn't necessarily buy happiness. Um, and so 
what these caregivers are talking about, and they're talking about compensation, they're talking about their sick time, but they're they're also talking about the social currency of this all. You know, people, there. you know, it goes on to say, you know, one of the things that she, she says that really frustrates her is that, she, here it is, the worst thing that I get upset about is hearing the word hero, hero, hero being thrown around for us, and no one is treating us as such. We feel disrespected. And so this is the, the point that I'm making with social currency versus monetary uh, currency. Everybody needs money. Everybody needs a, a house over their head, food in their bellies, clothes on their back, and um, ideally <clears throat> access to health care and access to being able to get some uh, basic needs, right? And so because of that, that's where the monetary side of things come in. And a lot of caregivers, at least in this area, are sending money back home to, for a lot of our caregivers, Uganda, but to Africa, to help support their families over there. But there's also social currency. And many of these caregivers understand and realize that they're going to get paid X amount of dollars for their work. It's going to be somewhere between, you know, um, 13 and $18 an hour for their work or $16 an hour for their work, whatever type of work they do. But more than likely in their lifetime, they're probably not going to be making more than $20 an hour for caregiving services. More than likely that's going to be the case because uh, it, the, the supply and demand where the, the, I mean, I won't go into why it is, but that's more than likely what the trend is going to be. The, the rates for caregivers have not gone up traditionally over the years, especially, especially in nursing homes. And so, you know, their argument is give us the social currency at least you're giving saying that you're you're treating us as a hero well then show us that we're heroes you know it's great that you're giving us the pat on the back but how about you give me my sick time back at least or give me my vacation time that i was forced to use because you said hey listen you have uh you are under 100.4 so if you don't come to work we're going to dock you either pay or we're going to dock your sick time or your your vacation time and that's not the way to do business in my opinion um, these these companies need to provide not only monetary uh, uh, compensation for caregivers, but that social currency that's so desperately needed. And what I kind of wanted to speak about for a little bit, and this is what brings me to my main point of this um, this podcast, is the the social versus the monetary compensation. And so, you know, when you are providing that that social compensation, the social credit to somebody, giving somebody a bonus every once in a while, giving somebody their vacation time back or their sick time back. While it is a monetary benefit, I understand that. I believe that it has much more of a social um, a benefit to it than a monetary benefit. And what I mean by this is that in, in private agencies, in home care, and in uh, nursing homes and assisted livings, they've seen a large amount of caregivers walk off the job that have just basically, not figuratively walk off the job, but basically say, listen, I'm not coming back until this whole coronavirus thing uh, blows over. And then the federal government um, expanded unemployment benefits so that if you um, checked the box that said that you are afraid of going back to work, you are eligible for, for benefits, and you're going to get an extra $600 every other week or whatever it is um, for these services, well, that makes it a pretty easy decision for these caregivers who are sitting there going, I feel underappreciated where I work. I'm underpaid where I work, but I'm on top of that underappreciated where I work, and I can make more money sitting at home while 
I don't have to work in an already rough environment because let's be honest, cleaning up after people using the bathroom and seeing people slowly decline and die is a tough, tough thing to see over the course of time. And then on top of that, you're going to add in an infectious disease that we're not really too sure about. And granted, we're talking about a month or two ago. We're not sure about it, this thing. I don't know if I'm going to die for it, from it. I don't know if my kids are going to die. I don't know if my extended family is going to die. But what I sure as hell know is that all these old people that are in this nursing home I'm caring for are dying from it. So this is a serious thing. I think I'm going to sit this one out. And you can't blame them for doing it. They're genuinely scared. And I totally think that there's certainly some of that money that's involved in it. But I think the majority of it is, is people are scared. People are sitting there and saying, hey, listen, I, I don't want to get involved in this. And on top of that, I can make more money sitting at home. Well, this is a no-brainer. So what you've seen in these, in these communities, in these private agencies, is that... The agencies and the nursing homes and the assisted livings and the, the visiting nurses and the hospice companies, the ones that have treated their caregivers and employees better than others are having better outcomes with their staff. And because of that, that's that social currency that people don't think about until it's too late. You can't start doing the social currency with your employees right now in times of trouble. You can start, but it's a lot harder. It'd be a hell of a lot easier to do it 10 weeks ago, 20 weeks ago, 52 weeks ago, and start sending out those thank you cards or those birthday cards or a little bonus here and there for somebody coming through for you during tough times or simply picking up the phone and saying, thank you very much, caregiver. You mean a lot to me. You saved my butt. I've said from the very beginning of Minute Women that the least important person in Minute Women is probably me. My caregivers are the number one employees in Minute Women. If I don't have employees, I don't have a company. And then my second line is the office workers. They're more important than me. If I don't have office workers, I don't have that... Um, ability to handle a lot of cases at once. If all of a sudden my office workers went away, well, then I'd have a hell of a job trying to cover all the cases and handle all the things day to day that need to be done. My job as a, as, a, as a CEO is to make sure that I'm putting the right people in the right job and empowering them to be able to be successful. And I personally think that micromanaging isn't the best way to go about things. And if somebody continues to make mistakes, work with them. And then if they continue to have problems, well, then that's a totally different discussion. But I believe that in general with humans, that more often than not, they're going to do the right thing or at least try to do the right thing. And I'm okay with it. And so I believe that part of the reason Minute Women's been successful is we've been giving that social currency out since the very beginning. So while they say, hey man, I would really like to make more money, and I might say to them, I can't pay you more money because the, the client isn't willing to, to pay that amount. And so I have a ceiling on how much I can pay you for this job. They at least, if they're willing to take the job, and sometimes they don't, they also understand that they're gonna be treated with dignity and respect and appreciated versus other agencies who treat them as just a commodity and just a body. Just another person, throw them in there. If they don't work out, we'll throw somebody else in and I'll treat you like trash until I need you. And that gets old real quick with these caregivers because there's plenty of places that they can work. Now, 
We have caregivers that only work for Minute Women because they appreciate how we treat them. And so I think where you, you see this, where how much would it cost to give some of these caregivers three days of vacation back or four days of vacation or a week of vacation back? And then all of a sudden you have that social currency that that caregiver remembers, hey, listen, when things got tough, I showed up for the, the, to the nursing home and the nursing home showed up for me. But I can willing to bet you that this caregiver is going to remember this if she doesn't get her vacation time back or doesn't get some type of compensation back for doing what she did. And her loyalty to that company is going to be less than zero. And the second that some opportunity comes around better, she's not even going to think about it. She's not even going to give the opportunity to the, the nursing home to keep her, right? So what, what happens with a lot of us is we, if we become dissatisfied with our job, we just find another job or we try to find another job. And we don't even, there, there are situations that occur where you don't even give the, hey, I'm giving you my two weeks notice and I think that's being generous. If I had it my way, I'd walk off the job the second that I could, but I'll give you two weeks notice. Hey, is there any way that we can keep you around? Hey, Joe, can we keep you around? Jane, can we keep you somehow? No, there's a 0% chance of that happening. It's already, and that's where she's probably at. And it goes on to say in this, this, this article that where this continues is that they feel that these nursing homes have put blinders on and they basically sent these caregivers into homes, into residences um, that are COVID positive, knowing that they're COVID positive. Um, you know, they feel that they have, that the, the nursing staff basically refused to test the, um, the, the patients that they had. And because of that, if you don't test, you don't have COVID positive cases. And so if you don't have COVID positive cases, you don't have to announce to the, the state and to the newspapers and to your employees and to your families that you have COVID positive cases. And they felt that, that this was going on. And this, in my opinion, and this goes back to the staffing. This, they were so worried about the staffing, knowing that if they had COVID positive cases, that people were going to walk off the job. And then who was going to care for these people? So they took it as, hey, listen, I'd rather, I'd rather not know and, and put my head in the sand than, um, than, than know and then have an even bigger crisis on my hands. And if that's the case, that's negligence and that's purposely putting people into harm's way, which is completely unacceptable. And in previous podcasts, I mentioned about the immunities nursing homes have or are getting from executive orders from governors and, and laws being passed. And I certainly hope that those types of situations are not covered under immunity. There is one thing with immunity from lawsuits or civil, um, civil suits or um, criminal charges where it is truly an act of God. Let's say there was a situation, let's, let's say with the PPE, saying that, hey, listen, at one point in time in March and into April, nobody could get PPE. It, was, it, was, it felt like it was virtually impossible. I was on call and webinar and call and webinars all week long with people that were freaking out trying to get PPE because their nursing homes were starting to get COVID and they couldn't find it. And so if you can't get COVID, then that, excuse me, if you can't get PPE, then, well, listen, you can't get PPE. That's not necessarily your fault. There wasn't any, any to, be, to be received. But 
if you could have gotten PPE and then you just didn't want to pay the inflated prices, well, that to me goes back to negligence. Hey, listen, this is the cost of doing business. We got to got to get PPE. I had to buy thousands of dollars of PPE and a lot of it's sitting unused because we didn't see that influx in our, our clientele that had COVID. So I think this article goes on to say, you know, um, um, you know, what, what the, what some of these problems were with these nursing homes. And I know for a fact, I talked to people in the Department of Health. I know for a fact that, that facilities overall, there were many facilities, not all of them, but there were more than just a handful that refused National Guard testing, that refused having people come in and do their testing because they didn't want to know. Because if you test, you will get positives. If you don't test, you wouldn't get positives. I was told that by somebody in Department of Health, that there are, there are facilities that are not are electing not to get involved with um, the Department of Health and they're refusing. And so it became a problem. So, you know, it, it ends up being, it ends up being one of these situations is, is that right now it seems like we're not having as big of a um, surge. Things are getting quiet. We'll certainly see with all the protests that are going on. It's obviously been a horrible, horrible week for this nation. Um, outside of senior care, it, it really is, it's just compounding itself. But, you know, the, they, they talk about um, in this, um, or at least it, it, it reminds me, is, is they talk about how, you know, one of the issues with this is the aides are, uh, that aren't making enough money work at different jobs, which I've talked about multiple times before. And since they're working at different jobs, they're putting themselves more at risk to support themselves. They're putting their families at risk. And of course, they're putting at the different um, locations that they work at risk because the more movement they're doing, the better chance that they're going to get infected with coronavirus. Or if they've already been infected with coronavirus, they still might be carrying the um, virus on their hands and still spread it to other um, communities without ever getting sick because more than likely the antibodies are going to prevent um, uh, future future um, uh, infections at least in the short term for the next year or so or six months or whatever. So the question is what's going to happen with the second wave? You know, uh, David Grabowski, who we've talked about a few times in a two day, he seems to be quoted in every article, goes, a lot of nursing homes are worried because of this. I'm a professor at the healthcare policy of Harvard Medical School who focuses on long-term care. That's why it's getting uh, it's quoted so much. He's an expert in long-term care. Who steps in here? Maybe it's the National Guard. Maybe it's contract nurses. But it's not like these places have a big roster of folks ready to plug into these positions. Um, on May 20th, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced that the city would provide staff to fill in nursing home workers who co contract COVID-19 and must stay at home. All of this suggests that the looming shortage of elder care workers in the U.S. is likely to worsen. Now the pandemic has laid bare many of the problems in the industry. Quote, it's a two-way street. We need to pay them a rate, um, uh, a rate uh, with, with all that we're asking for them and support them. Otherwise, it's not going to be there to do this. And, and, you know, that's what we found. We found that if somebody's going to go into a COVID building, we have to pay them more. If they're going to work with a COVID patient, we have to pay them much more. And that's that's just the supply and demand of it all. And so I've been concerned about this. We've gotten through the worst, the, not the worst wave, the first wave is what I was going to say. And we had a lot of deaths in nursing homes. What happens if there's a second wave? Because now everybody knows what they're getting into. So 
are we going to need the National Guard or the military to step in? I kind of think we do. You know, you have so many nursing homes and we need medical professionals in these nursing homes to provide care. And so if we have those professionals that are in the National Guard or in the military, uh, unfortunately, I think they need to be, you know, sent and their new mission needs to be supporting nursing homes. And we saw what happened when the military went up into nursing homes in Canada. It was a disaster. They saw things that nobody ever in their wildest dreams ever wanted to see. So anyways, this is this article. I guess the point of this was really to talk about the, the caregivers and talking about, yes, they absolutely need to be paid more. Medicare and Medicaid need to be reimbursing um, nursing homes. It feels like every single uh, topic in the United States, it feels like it's just such a huge, huge undertaking with things because it's not just one little fix. It's not one little fix to, to solve the issues we're having with the police. It's not one little fix that we're, ha we're having to be able to pay caregivers a fair wage. It sounds like it is, but it gets very complicated very quickly because it, then it goes into, well, hey, you know, we need to reimburse these, these, um, these, these nursing homes and then how we're, we're going to give you a bunch more money. How are we ensuring that those are going to the right people and it's going to be spent correctly? Or how is it going to be going to the 70% the, the of nursing homes that are for profits and it's just going to pad their stock, uh, their stock uh, profits and their, their, their stock price and it's just going to go to the, the, the heads of the companies? And listen, hey, listen, I'm the CEO of a company. I certainly want to grow and become bigger and bigger and bigger. But Clearly, the issue is that we need to be willing to pay more money. Now, I'm in an interesting position where I am strictly, um, uh, I'm strictly under supply and demand. Right? People are going to shop around, and if I go up to somebody and I am ten or twenty or thirty percent higher than um, than the competition, I'm not going to get cases. So it's a, certainly an interesting thing on how this is going to play out because. You know, at the end of the day, the taxpayers or the individual that's paying for their care is going to have to be okay paying 30 or 40 or 50 percent more. So the caregivers can make 30, 40 or 50 percent more and make a decent living wage. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing to pay $40, $45 an hour for private home care services? When right now in Massachusetts, they're averaging about 30. That's a lot of money. $30 an hour is a lot of money. 45 is an extraordinary amount of money. Not a lot of people can afford that. And so if you start paying these caregivers, you know, $20, $25 an hour at nursing homes, which I think a lot of people would say that they are deserving of, well then, where is that money going to come from? Well, it's going to come from CMS, which is going to come from Medicare. I mean, excuse me, from taxes. So are we willing to, to pay that amount of money? And so far in this country, we have not been willing to do that. So anyways, that is the Caregiver's Toolbox. I appreciate you listening. Again, please give us five stars if you feel we warranted it. We warrant it and that you appreciate this podcast. It would be greatly appreciated if you could do that. Otherwise, I wish you health and safety. And we'll see you on the next one.